I discovered Jasmine Crockett on these internets because I follow a number of pages that make it their business to show the type of stuff that goes on on C-SPAN and MSNBC that people don't really like run across unless they're really like in the mix of C-SPAN and MSNBC. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't just have C-SPAN on in the house while I'm just living life, right? But there's things that be going down in these committees, in these hearings. And when I say things that be going down, I mean, one, there are things getting passed that you're like, wait, I didn't even know that was on the table. But two, there are folks that are showing up in ways that a lot of us may not realize. And when we talk out of our asses a lot of times about kind of where we see government at is, where we feel government is working, I say it's out of our asses because we're really just kind of regurgitating what is being said to us by media a lot of times. And as we all know, like the media at this point is very much bought. So unless you're getting your information from independent news sources that have consistently shown nonpartisanship and just consistently shown common sense journalism, you getting you getting some bullshit. That's why I'm so happy that I do follow these spaces because I get to see some real things happen. And Jasmine Crockett, Representative Jasmine Crockett of Dallas, Texas, is one of those examples. Honestly, if they would continue to say if or Hunter and we were playing a drinking game, I would be drunk by now. Because I promise you, they have not talked about the subject of this, which would be the president. But let me tell you something that was so disturbing as I walked in to this chamber today. As I prepared, I said, what is the crime? Because when you're talking about impeachment, you're talking about high crimes or misdemeanors. And I I can't seem to find the crime. And honestly, no one has testified of what crime they believe the president of the United States has committed. But when we start talking about things that look like evidence, they want to act like they blind. They don't know what this is. These are our national secrets. Looks like in the shitter to me. This looks like more evidence of our national secrets, say on a stage at Mar-a-Lago. When we're talking about somebody that's committed high crimes, it's at least indictments, let's say 32 counts related to unauthorized retention of national security secrets, seven counts related to obstructing the investigation, three false statements, one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, falsifying business records, conspiracy to defraud the United States, two counts related to efforts to obstruct the vote certification proceedings, one count of conspiracy to violate civil rights, 23 counts related to forgery or false document statements, eight counts related to soliciting. And I could go on because he's got 91 counts pending right now. I'm somebody who I feel like has always been like the person in the room who is louder, even though I'm not even trying to be louder. Like I remember when I was in school at SUNY Purchase, I remember this professor, Dana, she was our voice professor. Was she voice? Speech. Speech, professor? Speech. She was like, Amanda, you have to understand that you're always going to be singled out in a room. Even if everybody in the room is talking, you're going to be singled out because you're either going to be talking the loudest or you're going to be saying the things that make the most sense. (laughs) I was like, yeah, but that's not fair. She was like, I mean, life isn't fair. She was like, so the sooner you know this, the more you can be cognizant about what you're speaking about and how you're speaking. I feel like Jasmine Crockett is in that same bucket because when you see how she be getting at these folks, 
she's not being just superfluous with her voice. Like she is saying the things that I think so many of us have wanted to see said. These Democrats have been so, I don't know, bland for so long that I think many of us gave up hope on there being another option outside of this far right option, right? They've been centrist. They've been bland. They've been old. They've been old. They've been white. And it starts to be like, well, I mean, how are they any different from these other folks? So you got to have someone like a Jasmine Crockett come through because that's somebody who's going to show you in a very clear fashion there is another option. And we've seen that with the squad. You know, Ayanna Presley, Corey Bush, Jamal Bowman, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, AOC. Sometimes I just say the names just to impress myself that I know these many names. But my point is that we have seen examples, but we need more. And I love getting the chance to sit down with Jasmine Crockett because she is somebody who is new in this space and who is continuing to change the legacy of what it means to be a Democrat by bringing in progressive Democrat into the conversation. And I keep saying this because I know so many of y'all love to just be like, well, it's all the same. It's all the same. And it's not. And you can't keep running that rhetoric when there are examples on Small Doses podcast. So... Right here, we're going to get to talk to Representative Jasmine Crockett, and we call it Side Effects of Gathering the Government because if you've never heard her keep it a buck, you're going to hear some examples here, but you should also make it your business to go check her out, even if you're not in Dallas, because she, to me, is a great example of what I would love to see more of our representatives do. Keep it a buck, say what needs to be said, and then put action behind it. Let's get into it. Well, we are here. <laughs> We're here with the lovely representative, Jasmine Crockett Esquire. That's right. Yes, because there's an Esquire that you remind us of on a regular basis. Well, you don't even remind us. You remind them of on a regular basis. Like, as a lawyer, as someone who has practiced, <laughs> as someone who has read constitutional <laughs> law, and I love it every time, which is why you're here, because... I think that a lot of us, myself included, have been very frustrated over the past, I would say maybe like six or seven years with this idea that like Democrats are very like straight line, very centrist, very they go low, we go high as interpreted as like y'all can talk crazy and then we're just not going to say anything about it. Like we're just going to let it roll off our backs. But it's like, yeah, yeah, but it's rolling off your back into the people yeah. like and into policy and into legislation. And so I know me. Charlemagne, like, we've been just frustrated. Like, why don't these Democrats ever be saying shit? Yeah. <laughs> why, is everybody, why is everybody just letting this go down? Yeah. And then someone like you appears, right? And, you know, the squad. And it's like, oh. Yeah. Okay, so this is what a progressive looks like. Yeah. Would you consider yourself a progressive Democrat? I do. Okay, so what does that mean for you? So for me, to be progressive means that I am fighting for policies that will progress this country, progress my people, and fighting against anything that is regressive. And so in the state of Texas, all that we've seen is nothing but regression. I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting on y'all to pull out the chains and tell us it's time for us to go back to the plantation. Messing around with Texas and also messing around with national Republicans instead of looking forward and saying, you know what? We deserve clean air, clean water, clean energy as a whole. That's what progress looks like. It looks like moving us into the future in a very strategic and specific way that is based on data and science and what we can see we need to do, not based on feelings, but oh. based on what we actually so know. So critical thinking. Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's that's all it means. And you're doing it for the people. 
You're not doing it for it. So the P in progressive to me means people, mm. right? You're not doing it on behalf of corporations. You're not doing it on behalf of any special interest. The only special interest that representatives should ever have is the people that put them into position. And so for me, it is people-centered policies that will make sure that they are walking into a better life in the future. I mean, in that, would you say that Yes, some of them are serving the people that put them in positions because it's corporations that put them in those positions. I would argue that maybe so. But I also will say that the beautiful thing about democracy when it works the way that it's supposed to work is whether you're poor, rich, middle class, when you go into that ballot box, it is supposed to be the only time that you are actually on the same playing field Mm -hmm. where the poor folk, your vote counts just as much as the rich person. The difference is Politics is so expensive right now that it costs so much to be in this game. Tell me more about that. What oh, do you mean? Jesus Christ. So that's where the corporations come in. Okay. And depending on kind of what they do and where they funnel money into, say, uh, what we call independent expenditures. And so basically we have these, I call them artificial caps on how much money we can receive. And I was the beneficiary, full disclosure, I was the beneficiary of a couple of IEs mm-hmm. because people can can throw money on races. So what we see a lot of times is I can go to individuals and our max is now is I can get $3,300 for every leg of my race. Okay. So I may have a rich friend that can give me $3,300 and could potentially give me even more than that. But mm-hmm. that's the most that I'm going to be able to get is the $3,300 from my rich friend. Most people that look like me, especially black women, we are the most underfunded candidates in the country, whether it's a city race, county race, state race, or federal race. We never get the money that our counterparts get. We can look in California specifically at the Senate race with Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee is not getting the money that Adam Adam Schiff, Schiff is getting, nor that you uh, no Katie. Names. You yeah, there you, you go. Names. There you go. <laughs> nor the money that uh, Katie Porter is getting. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, when you need to run an election. You've got to get up on TV. You've got to get up on radio. Nowadays, we do a lot of streaming. Mm-hmm. You're doing all these things to make sure that you can get your message across so that voters hear from you. Yeah. Well, if you don't have the money to get your message across, especially in a state of Cal- like the size of California that's close to 60 million people, how is it that you can even say that you're in the race? The people don't, they're not even able to hear your voice. You've got to be able to communicate. Mail is expensive. It's super expensive. You've got to send out mailers. You've got to somehow get to the people. So what can happen is you can have corporations that decide, you know what, we're going to deal with this super PAC, right? So we're going to make sure that money is going into a super PAC where the rules are a little different. Honestly, it's kind of the wild, wild west by the time you get to the super PAC. This is the... uh Citizens United situation. Exactly. And so what'll happen is you'll see this ad and you'll think, oh, this is from my favorite candidate. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not. And it'll say paid for by. And it's some organization that you've never heard of. But they can pour millions and millions into races. Right now, one of the races that we're watching very closely is my classmate Summer Lee, the first black woman to be elected to Congress from the state of Pennsylvania. Summer Lee had about $5 million that was poured into her race against her to keep her from getting that seat. Wow. Summer Lee did not raise $5 million. Right. And so, you know, black women do what black women do, which Mm -hmm. is we always stretch a dollar and we can make it go places that other people can't necessarily make it go. And so Summer was effective and she was able to win her seat back, but she's already been told 
they're coming after you again. And so, you know, this is someone who has to somehow go and raise money to fight against this tide of millions of dollars that will be poured into her race. They'll be able to pretty much say whatever they want to say, whether it's true or not. So they'll put out all kinds of falsehoods on her, on her record. How is that legal? Well, because, I mean, have you seen the Supreme Court lately? <laughs> I mean, touche. I mean, like... Because they're... they're, they're ha- I mean, I'm sure there's legislation that says that, you know, this is okay now because that's what ends up happening. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do this? Mm, good question. Because you seem like a very level-headed gal and just critical thinking in general is... A gift and a curse. <laughs> yeah. Because it means that like you can see things and then once you see it, you can't unsee yeah. it. And then if you're an action-based person, you're like, well, well now that I, I see it, I got to do something yeah. about it. But the system that is set up right now feels like it's just built to impede progress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when we talk about things like systemic racism, okay. right? We know that there are certain things that are baked into the current systems that we have. And honestly, we have a movement right now. When you see the younger lawmakers, such as myself, such as Maxwell Frost, such as Summer Lee, um, you know, when you see us coming in, we're coming in because we truly want to tear down the systems and recreate them in the vision in which they were stated that they were always going to be. We want America to live up to its promise. And so that's what we're trying to do by being in this space. But at the same time, We have those that are trying to tear down our institutions right now. And the last thing that they want to do is create systems in the vision of what we are supposed to be. And so that's what you see from that far right flank. You know, three people that were on the outside on January 6th that participated in the insurrection Mm -hmm. swore into my freshman class with me. We took literally public enemy number one, two, and three that were outside trying to tear us down. And now they are on the inside. And what they're doing is they're tearing us down from within. But you know this is repeating a history, right? Oh, Because this is the reconstruction. But this is why we don't want to teach history. This is why we don't want an accurate accounting of history. Because if there's an accurate accounting, Right. Then maybe we won't repeat it. Because why would there be people from the Confederate involved in the Congress that is supposed to rewrite the Constitution post-Civil War? Exactly. And because there was, and because there was a Supreme Court supported by them, we did not see the equality that should have happened on the other side of the Civil War. And instead we saw post antebellum slave laws, and now here we are. And I feel like what I'm watching is a re- a reenactment of that, what seems on like a lesser level because it's not post war. Right. But it's very indicative of the fact that we we really haven't gone as far. I mean, I have to push you on this. Like, I do think that there's something to be said for there was a vision of America and how it should be. Yeah. But I don't feel like their vision of how it should be was ever inclusive of anyone other than white men. So like, how does that then change how we imagine the shifting of America into this version of how it should be? Yeah, because the, I know that I said we, that in a we very will, well, no, way. no, no, but we were never a part of the equation, right? right? Because we were somebody else's property. Yeah. Like we were never a part of the equation. But at the point that we decided that we were all going to be equal, but mm-hmm. well, we need to talk about what equal looks like, what equity Fair. looks like. And so then we still go back to our founding principles. If we now 
are a part of the equation, then how do we get America to live up to the beautiful that it is promised to be? And so or that that's it promised get, white men to be. Correct. <laughs> correct. Right? That's yeah. I mean, because we supposed to be on the same level yeah, as they yeah, yeah. But we not. We're not. And we're talking about all white men get treated better than we do. And these are just facts, right? Like, and and when I say this, and that's not to be sounding radical, that's to be real. No, that's because yes. when a white man rolls down the street, he's not as concerned when he gets pulled over. In fact, half the time, if they get pulled over and they know they haven't done any wrong, or if they have done oh. something wrong, they are indignant. Acting. They got <laughs> attitudes, all kinds of stuff. Do you know who I am? They will go in, <laughs> have right? You met my father. Exactly. You'll get all of that type of like energy. But when a black person, it's like, well, you didn't follow all the commands and you lose your life on and the we, streets. We as black folks actually help perpetuate this. Yeah. I mean, I just saw a story of this band leader in Montgomery, Alabama, who, you know, didn't stop playing the band when the cops told him to stop playing. And people are like, well, he should have just stopped playing. And so he got tased. And I'm just like, first of all, we have to understand <laughs> yeah. that he was not doing a criminal act. Yeah. So there should not have been a criminal repercussion. No. The principal should be telling him, stop playing. Maybe he gets fired the next right. day. But the police should be only policing criminal right. acts. Right. And that wouldn't have happened in a white football game. No, and it, and it's the escalation of force. Of course. I, I think that people are It was black equating, cops, by the way, just so we're clear. And let's be clear. To me, it ain't black, white, Asian, whatever, because we saw we had everybody when it came to George Floyd. It's the blue. Was, it's the blue. That's, to, that's, that's the color. That's it's the color, color and the culture of the blue. And honestly, many don't understand the history behind the blue either. Would you like to tell and, them? Well, I mean, we know about the slave. I know you know about the slave patrols, but even the origination of what they were about, mm -hmm. which is why when, you know, everybody wants to back down and they say, oh, the defund movement that hurt the Democrats. I don't believe that. What I believe is that Democrats lack on effective messaging consistently. And I also believe that the defund movement did what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to shock people into asking questions and make sure that we could have conversations. Because if you say, well, let's reimagine policing. Ain't nobody talking about that for a year later, <laughs> right? But a year later, they like, they want to defund the police. And then it's like, no, no, no. Let's talk about what that looks like because we all want to be safe in our homes. I can tell you it's plenty of black grandmas and grandpas that are like, yes, we want to make sure that our streets are clean, that we don't have drugs, we don't have crime. But what we don't want is situations like what I endured actually when I was running for the state house because I came in as a former public defender, civil rights lawyer, and I had a grandmother call me. And she said, listen, my grandson is having an episode right now. Mm -hmm. I had represented him before. He trusted oh, wow. me. And, you know, when you do the type of work that I've done, mm -hmm. you're consistently dealing with mental health. Yeah. And she said, I want my grandson to survive. Yeah. I'm in the middle of trying to figure out how I'm going to find me some votes. Right. But at the end of the day, the reason I was running is because I wanted to see something different and better for my people, especially in these types of circumstances. So I can't say that I'm running to better your lives and then I don't show up when you need me. Right. So in the midst of it all, I stopped everything that I was doing and I came over and we also had law enforcement standing back, Right. And so it was a matter of him talking to me and everything was fine. Mm. But no one should have to do that. We should have providers available. Yes. But instead, we've decided that law enforcement and people need to understand that this was a movement that was really about 
being more effective and efficient with law enforcement in general. Yeah. Because like you said, I don't care about the boy with the music. Go holler at the people that's robbing, yes. killing, stealing, <laughs> yes. right? And so we have all these police forces that are down right now. They don't have the numbers that they need and they're spending their time doing stuff that we don't want them to do. And honestly, they end up over-policing the wrong situations and not policing the right ones. Where does this messaging that you were talking about, like I've always felt, and I told this to Cory Booker's face, um, <laughs> the Republicans aren't better, smarter, or no. they're definitely not smarter. No. They're just, their marketing machine is simple mm-hmm. and it speaks to the people they mm-hmm. want to reach. Yeah. And so with Democrats, I feel like that code has not been able to be cracked. Why do you yeah. think that is? So I think it's a couple of things. I think when you look at the Democratic Party, we are a big tent party. Okay. And so with that, you have so many different issues that we're pressing in on. And we're pretty bad about consolidating our issues and recognizing the intersectionality of the issues. Yes. And really just trying to bring it all together. And so it makes it difficult because you have those that want to focus in on LGBTQIA. You have those that want to focus in on democracy, which I think democracy is really the underlying thing that we all need to kind of focus on because it all kind of boils back to that. You have those that want to talk about climate. You have like everybody kind of has these niche areas, the civil rights issues that are going on consistently that we see, the inequities when it comes to education, food security, healthcare. We've got all these things, right? So we're like, oh, we want to fix everything in the world. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans, first of all, (laughs) they lack integrity. So they'll lie. So another thing is, like, Democrats are going to try their best to, like, tell the truth and be honest because they expect people to fact check them, right? Republicans, it's easy if all you can do is lie. Like, you just say whatever you want to say. That's number one. Number two, because they aren't that smart, they don't really have a bunch of policies that they're trying to get out there and convey to people. They don't have the problem of big tent. No, (laughs) they don't have big tent. They don't have any of these things, right? Like, I mean, even when you look at them, you look at the House floor. You can look at the House floor in any state house or the U.S. house. If they are divided like we are, right? Mm -hmm. So in our house, Democrats sit on the left, Republicans sit on the right. It wasn't like that in the state house, but that's how it is on the federal level, right? If you look out at the crowd, they all look one way on one side. Mm. <laughs> and then you got everybody named mama on the other side, right, right, right? right? Like, that's how we are. Like, we look like America on the Democratic side. But for the most part, it's all white men on the Republican side. Like, you are hard-pressed to find, I think, you know, maybe now they've got a couple of Asians. I think Asian women, they don't have a black woman. They've got a couple of black men. Like, they've got a couple of folk mixed in. But nine times out of 10, if you're going to find people that look like who we are in this country, it's going to be on the Democratic side. And that does make it more difficult because, honestly, right now, the only theme that I hear so clearly coming from the Republican Party is white supremacy. And when you look at January 6th and you look at who was convicted, who was leading the way, Proud Boys. Yep. Who did Trump say stand back and stand by to? Proud Boys, Mm -hmm. right? And so white supremacy to me is the only thing that is really their rallying cry and it's the only thing they're focused on. And so that's why when the so-called woke black folk start going on, they little, the the whole tips, they start being like, oh, I'm like, bro, 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 stop. Well, because that honestly genuinely (laughs) confuses me as to, I feel like I see far more than I would 
that makes sense to me, like black folks who don't consider themselves Republicans supporting that side. And I think a lot yeah. of it comes from this mindset of, well, Republicans and Democrats are the same. Yeah. So can you just speak to me about like, what is the actual difference? Because I know that what you're saying, or I guess instead of you saying what's the actual difference, why do you think people feel that way? Yeah, I think people feel that way because they'll look and they feel like government is ineffective and they don't feel like it's moving forward on the issues that they care about most. So they say, well, what's the difference? If we've got Democrats or if we've got Republicans, we still not getting what we need. So why do I care? And I feel them on that. And I spend a lot of time specifically with my constituents to make sure that I educate them on why it matters that there is a me and the things that I'm doing. So for instance, some of the things that I did this last recess is I took home money literally to clean up the environment. We had areas that have been disproportionately impacted with pollution because they've had all the raggedy plants that you can find, <laughs> you know, polluting our soil, polluting our air, and no one even focused on trying to clean these areas up. And so we are disproportionately- This is in Dallas. This is in Dallas. Mm -hmm. and this, well, this is actually in the country. Okay. I mean, when you think about a Flint, Michigan, okay. just be clear, there's a Flint, Michigan in every major city. A lot of this, when you think about redlining and the opportunities for housing, what they would do is they would put a lot of the manufacturing plants, whether they're cement plants, whether they're roofing or like shingle plants, any of these plants that actually are doing the Aaron Brockovich type of nonsense, right? Ah, Where yes. they are the chemicals Dumping. that go exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's all getting into the soil. And then our homes are built around there. Yes. And then we look at the health outcomes and we can see that there's a ton of asthma, there's a ton of cancer, and people are starting to die of certain things. And they recognize like, oh, there's, there's these issues, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got all these cleanup sites. I feel like I'm always with EPA now. My regional administrator is a Black woman, doctor with long dreads. I love me some Dr. Nance. <laughs> and she gets it in. She is committed to this. But the everyday person doesn't understand that but for, say, the Infrastructure Act, we wouldn't be here. They don't understand that the president invested in making sure that those lead pipes, when we started talking about Flint and them having clean drinking water, that he is the one that said, we are going to put this into this more than a thousand page legislation to make sure that there is money that will be reinvested specifically in these communities of color that have been forgotten and downtrodden. Now, see, when I say this, people be like, oh, you just you just like Biden. I'm like, well, no, <laughs> I think people genuinely Jasmine are like. They don't care about the Infrastructure Act because it doesn't specifically say mm -hmm. this is for black people. Exactly. But in my understanding, it doesn't need to say that no. to do that. Yeah. But people want it to say that for them to feel like they're getting their fair shake. Yeah. And I don't know how that gets changed. Like when you're sitting in there in the, you know, does this type of stuff get proposed? Like y'all should put some black stuff in there. No, definitely not under these circumstances uh, that is not being proposed <laughs> because you have to recognize that one of the reasons that we are at a standstill is because Democrats are actually fighting the backlash because Republicans are trying to tarnish all of these major kind of bills that we always go through, such as defense, um, FAA reauthorization by putting in, they didn't do it to FAA reauth. It's a miracle. 
but they're definitely probably going to try FAA to... FAA is Federal Aviation Authority? Yes. Agency? Authority? For anybody that's flying okay. to make sure that y'all don't have them near misses or don't have them actually collisions and stuff. Right. But reforming, like, you know, passenger rights and, like, what you see when you buy a ticket and what the breakdown looks like. All the thing, everything yes. that governs, like, you getting on a plane. Now, see, I don't think outside. people know that that's being governed. Okay, yeah, that, like, you're right. Because I remember when Biden was, like, talking, he was like, you know... The airlines aren't really being fair to consumers because they're adding all these extra charges and it's affecting black and brown consumers yeah. more than anybody because that is the part of this country that has not been yeah. able to be equitable with economics. I remember him saying that. And I was like, this white man is trying to wake up. Maybe. And, yeah, no. Um, yeah. But I didn't know that he would even have anything to do with that. So when you think about the air above us. No one technically owns it, right? Like when you buy a house, you don't own the air, you own the land. Right. And so airspace is federally owned and controlled, right? So that's how we keep enemies from like flying Duh. into our airspace, okay. that kind of stuff. So the now air itself is a federal issue, right? Like our airspace. Huh. And so while we don't own the airlines, because they are using our space. Got you. Like, I mean, they're being Teach given the us. privilege of using our space. So there's a lot that we, in air traffic controllers, that is federal. That is us. That is us because it's our air. So it's not the airlines that have the air traffic controllers. And the air traffic controller ain't the little person that's like waving the little wands, <laughs> right? The air traffic controllers, God bless them. Oh my gosh. They are sitting in what I call a dark room and the they've tower. got these little, yeah, they've got like the radar. Well, we've got some in towers and then they've got these little radars. So you have people that are looking and can visually see these planes so that if something bad is about to happen, right. they can be like, abort, ah. abort, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have people that are literally watching on radar. So like these little green dots, like moving. It is very scary to me because they watch a lot of planes at one time. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. But nevertheless, they are the ones that are telling pilots, you need to yeah. reroute. There's a storm. Like they're watching all the radar. So they're looking at the storms to make sure. So when your pilot says, hey, we got to take a different route, it's because air traffic control is the one that is watching. But that is federally owned space. Gotcha. So they hmm. work for us. So when people start talking about the shutdown and, well, I don't work for the federal government, so they ain't got nothing to do with me. Yes, it do. Especially for everybody want to be outside. The last shutdown it huh. got shut down, meaning that the last shutdown stopped because the air traffic controllers finally decided to call off. Now, that meant money. Oh, that so, meant so American, once, that meant Delta, United. Uh, the planes were down because these federal employees that are considered essential, uh -huh. but they're not getting paid, oh, they'll get their money on the back end. But most people got rent. Just, you know what I'm saying. No, I mean, no, <laughs> so, I really genuinely like, okay, so government shutdown. These are words that we just hear, right? Yeah. We just hear them. Government yeah. shutdown. It's like debt ceiling. Everyone just started hearing oh, debt ceiling, God. debt ceiling, debt ceiling. You're like, I, don't I even, know. Is debt so ceiling annoying. a new group coming yes. out of Atlanta? Like, it's, it's a debt ceiling. Yes. Fiscal <laughs> returns. Like, you know, you just like, I don't know. So I'm like, okay, let me really try to understand what a government shutdown really is and why it is. Yeah. And then I remembered that I'm interviewing you. <laughs> so I did my, I did my cursory research and then I said, I get to talk to the person who's in the room. Yeah. Can you please help us understand what is a government shutdown? Yeah. Why does it happen? 
And how can it be avoided? Because I did see someone on Fox News ask Karl Rove. It seems like they're always blaming Republicans for government shutdown. And Karl Rove said, because it's always Republicans. It's always the Republicans <laughs> that shut it down. Like, this is the history that they don't want to talk. Okay, so think of it like this. You get a check at the beginning of the month. Your check is $1,000. Okay. Your $1,000 is supposed to last you to the end of the month so you get your next check, Right. So you've got all your bills. You've got your budget that you've set out based on this $1,000, right? Yep. And usually we, you know, we call a budget a moral contract, right? Like, because typically people are like, let me pay my housing first. Let me pay my utilities. Let me pay for my car. Priorities. Yeah, exactly. And so what happens is our fiscal budget ends in September. Okay. So... Our end of the month. For the record, just so you know, fiscal means like when your year starts. So like some people's fiscal year is January to January, but your fiscal budget for the government is September to September. Exactly. Okay. So what's going to happen is, so that's basically our month, right? Like that is our budget. So we're at the end of the month, basically. And legitimately, we're like at the end of the month. So we have to say, hey, this is what we need to be paid to go through to our next September, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And basically, because we're the government, we get to pay ourselves. But essentially, it's the best way I can describe it. So it's like, all right, we're at the end of the month. We didn't pay all our bills. We, we ain't got, got no more money. money. We got to get ready and pay our next round of bills. Yes. But there are people that are saying, never mind. We're not going to pay our bills. Like we're, And that was really more debt ceiling-ish too. The That's two what I was going to ask. The two kind of go a little hand bit hand in hand, hand, but not really. But yeah. So essentially, we've not passed our budget. So we have. So we haven't decided what bills we're going to pay for the next year with this money. We have not done anything. Nothing. Nothing. So we have twelve appropriations bills, and the House has not passed. The the appropriation bills are attached to the appropriation. Are are attached. That's our budget. Our full appropriations is all of our spending. So this is our budget. So there's 12 different, basically like subject matters. Okay. So yes. like I was saying, like you can have rent. So, you know, for infrastructure. Instance, right. So we've got defense. That's one. We've got agriculture. That's one. So we've got like 12 different categories. I was trying to find where those 12 categories were. And I literally like, they make it so hard for you to understand. I get it. I know. Well, <laughs> it, it kind of lines up almost with our committees. So, so that's what it said, yeah. right? And so now I'm going to just show it to you and let me know if I'm saying it right. That basically, first, you have to fund these essential bills mm-hmm. and the bills are attached to essential committees. Mm-hmm. But then there are also other committees, <laughs> yes, right, that do things, yeah. but they're not considered quote-unquote essential, essential, which yeah. I don't even know if that's Yeah, legit. that's, that's, it's, we have 12 basic kind of pillars and every committee kind of somehow ties into some official pillar funding committee ish of sorts. That's the best way I can describe it, but it's better for you to think of it as this goes towards childcare. This goes towards housing. This goes towards. And so we have 12 of those. Yes, That is the entire budget for the country. And so we've got 12 separate bills, but they deal with different categories. Mm -hmm. And so we go through each of them categorically we have not gotten through our appropriations bills. But why? Because the Republicans can't function. Karl Rove is right. Like, it's it's the Republicans. We're not in control. So the Senate is moving. So the Senate is actually believing that they may be able to get through their bills by maybe the end of the week or so. They, okay. they think that they may be able to get through theirs. So, and the Senate is controlled by Democrats. 
It is. It is small margin. It's a, it's a, a very thin. Yes, it is controlled. By, but they are working in a more bipartisan way. Oh, nice. Okay. Than in the House. So the House refuses. McCarthy wants to hold on to his speakership. So he's not working with Democrats to come up with something that could be bipartisan. If he had a bipartisan bill or bills, then we would have been done. You may not get all the progressives or you may not get all of, you may not get everybody, but you don't need everybody. You just need enough. You just need a majority. So you could really have the middle, the middle Republicans, the middle Democrats to actually go ahead and go through and come together. But McCarthy knows that his right flank will call for his head. And he cares more about holding on to his speakership than he does in making sure that we don't take our country to the brink. So what is the actual value on their part? Because it's not just McCarthy. I mean, what is the actual value in shutting down the government for them? But it literally, it's only about, I don't know, five to maybe 10 people. It's because he doesn't have a strong enough majority over us. And so you either have a strong enough majority where you can function without the other party and get your bills passed, or you have to work in a bipartisan way. So He's unable to do either one of those. So tell me this, how does a budget normally, if it was going right, like how would the process go for a budget to get approved? Because you're saying that they haven't even been able to start it. So like, how would it normally go? Yeah. So normally you would have what we call committee markups. Okay. And so basically everybody watches our committee hearings. They would take votes. They would do amendments. So there would be a bill that would be put out that would be proposed by what we typically call our cardinals. Mm -hmm. Those are the subcommittee chairs. So each subcommittee chair will work with their team which they get a bigger team if they are chairing a subcommittee. Mm -hmm. And they'd say, okay, this is what we're laying out as the basics for, say, defense. Okay, And then every member would be able to, in committee, say, hey, I want this amendment. I want that amendment. And they mark it up by saying, okay, vote yay or nay, like what I was talking about with Bobert earlier. But like they would vote yes or no on certain amendments. And then the committee will vote ultimately on whatever that ultimate product is with whatever amendments added, whatever things taken out. And then once it comes out of committee, and then what go to the rules committee, which rules has gotten very interesting. So you come out of your committee of jurisdiction, but the only way anything makes it to the floor is it has to go through our rules committee. Okay. At rules, then there's an opportunity, say, for other people that don't sit on those committees. So I don't sit on appropriations, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't be precluded from participating in, say, adding an amendment if I want to. Right. So then in rules committee, myself and other members would be able to say, hey, we want these to be ruled in order and take it to a full vote on the floor when the bill comes as to whether or not my amendment is good, bad, whatever the pleasure is of the body before we vote on the ultimate bill. Say that one more time. You'll ask me. So essentially we go through the same thing twice. Okay. Okay. So you go through it in committee where there's basically a, a... We like this. We don't like this. We're going to vote on it. Exactly. Now we pass and then you rules. get a, And then you get a product. So then in, in rules... Everybody can say, we don't like this. We, right. And in rules, everybody in the House, even if you're not on that committee... Yes. ...will be given an opportunity to Got try it? to add an okay. amendment. I'm getting okay? there. Okay. 
Rules Committee decides whether or not your amendment is ruled in order. So they say, I well, no, this is, oh, this, this is we're doing defense or yeah, whatever the thing is. Like, yeah. This is defense, but you're asking about child care. This is we like don't the type of like shit that not- we see in Tennessee, what they be trying to do to Pearson and Jones all the time. Like, oh, this doesn't apply. Yes, 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 okay. yes, yes, right? But they play games because yes. they rule stupid stuff in order that really shouldn't be ruled in order. And then we good do know stuff, this. they don't. We and do so that's the only way those amendments then get to the floor where we all vote. So the entire body, all 435 of us, we then get a chance to vote. And the ultimate product that we're looking at is, this is what came out of committee, Mm -hmm. okay? Now we're saying, are we going to add things to the Christmas tree or take things off the Christmas tree? And we're able to vote amendments up or down. I see, okay. Ultimately, whatever we get at the end. So when they'll say that we gutted a bill, that's what they mean. It made it to the floor and then the votes on the floor took out the most important parts of the bill before it went through. They can do amendments and pull stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Or we use that sometimes um, (laughs) because like they killed our defense bill. So defense came out of committee clean. Nothing, you know, stupid. It was all basic stuff. When it got to the floor, there were all these amendments from a bunch of crazy people that were ruled in order. And those amendments did things like, well, if it's a woman service member, she won't be allowed to leave, say, let's say her duty station is Texas. Uh Let's say she's raped in Texas, which there's a rape culture, unfortunately, that exists within the military. Yes. Let's say she's raped in Texas and impregnated. She decides that she wants to get an abortion, but Texas is not the state to go and get an abortion. Right. So she decides that she wants to say go to California to get an abortion where she can. They put stuff into the bill saying that a service member would be precluded from that. And this is the Tommy Tuberville BS, correct? Well, that's that's a little s- different. But what that did is it made it to where there's no way we can support the bill anymore. It was a bill the Democrats were okay with, but once you started getting in these amendments or they decided to gut all of the funding for diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm. they said it was hurting our service members to have diversity, equity, and inclusion. So anything, Hurting them. Hurting them, yes. So if there is a DEI professional within the military right. or any programs they're running— they wanted to pull all of that out. So just so I'm clear, the military that has always uh-huh. utilized individuals, not even just from America, but has brought in, they brought in Haitian folks into the Civil War. They brought in Mexicans to fight mm-hmm. in World War One and World War Two, And then the black folks and everybody. So that, that, that military. Filipinos, yeah, mm-hmm. all this. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they said diversity and inclusion. We don't it's need that. Tearing, it's making our military second class is what they've said. So when they put stuff like that in there, it's like, so we can't... I just, wait, I just... Okay, hold on. So the same military that purposely advertises in low-income neighborhoods and physically goes to those neighborhoods to canvas to try to get black and brown people from those neighborhoods to put on the front lines so that they're the first to die in any of these combat spaces, that military mm-hmm. says that diversity and inclusion is hurting the military. Okay. That the Republicans say that. Yes, 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 yes. The ones who have a white supremacy agenda. Let me just even say, though this would help that, their, I, was, I know, but but that's so thinking bad. too much. That's the problem. It's, it's too much thinking there. My bad. I'm it's, sorry. it's too much thinking, too strategic. They don't even know when they're shooting themselves in the, in the foot. foot. Yeah.
And this leads me to you gathering the government. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for taking the time to patiently explain all of that to me because <laughs> I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm somebody who was apathetic and then had to check myself because you can't complain about something you ain't trying to help. Yeah. And I really understand that a lot of the apathy comes from simply just not understanding. Yeah. And then you just feel uncomfortable about not understanding. So you're like, forget it. I don't even need to know about this. Yeah. Like, and then you are now engaging in enabling. Yeah. Because people absolutely Ab- think. That's absolutely right. People absolutely think like, well, it don't matter. And it's like, no, it really does matter yeah. to you. People think if I don't vote, then I've taken a stand. And it's like, well, see, the thing about no. revolution is that you need more than just you. Yeah. And a, not a vote is a vote. It is. But you have done. I think you've really done a great job in just exemplifying for people how we would love to be able to address these situations (laughs) head on. So I have to understand, like, have you always been like this? Where did this fire come from? Yeah. So, I mean, as a I was a trial lawyer and I missed the courtroom every single day. No, start from the kid. Were you were you this child? Um, Because I was this child. I don't know that I I wasn't. I, I don't know See, that I was. Ooh, when did it happen, Jasmine? Yeah, I don't know. I, I will say, I, I was definitely wasn't. School? I would probably say it was probably college. Okay. It was probably college for okay. me. So I was at a private white school that was in the heart of Memphis, heart of North Memphis, actually. And there were, I think, 18 black people in my class. What? Uh, yeah. This and is my, law school or my undergrad? College, college, undergrad. Okay. And it was my junior year in college when a number of us were targets of hate crimes. I'm sorry. And so it just, it it really shifted me in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it shifted me in a lot of different ways. And that's actually one of the things that prompted me to say, I may need to go to law school. It was the first time I Mm. felt helpless. And I said initially when I was going to go to law school that I really wanted to be a civil rights lawyer. There was a young lawyer, black woman, they had sent over to help with the investigation from the Johnny Cochran firm. And mm-hmm. uh, she had graduated law school at University of Houston, where I ended up graduating law school. But like she became my shero in that moment. And it was the only time that I just felt helpless. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, is this really happening mm-hmm. in this world? And so I was top of my class and they were like, you can go make money. I was like, oh, this is, well, let me go find me a good paying job. This is great. <laughs> And then I got to the point that I hated what I was doing. And I was like, why did I go to law school again? Oh, like in the high paying legal? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it wasn't me. And uh, and so I was like, why, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. And when I went back to it, I was like, I did this because I wanted to help people that look like me in these very compromising situations. Mm. And so that's what kind of got me redirected more so along the path that I've been on really ever since. It just sucks that so often the catalyst for us bucking up is that somebody really tried to knuck us. Yeah. Like, and yeah. that really just ends up being like, oh, hell, well, y'all ain't going to play in my face. Yeah. Now I got to go learn the shit to undo the shit. Absolutely. Well, I love to ask folks in the public sector this. Where were you when you decided I'm going to run for Congress? Oh, I know exactly where I was. Um <laughs> Well, I know where I was when I was asked to run. So my predecessor ah. asked me to run for her seat. So she was actually the eldest member of Congress. She was 87 at the time. Okay. And she had served for 30 years in the House. Before that, she had done 20 years on the state level. So she had been elected over and for over 50 again. years. Yeah. And we were having a redistricting fight on the Texas House floor. And I was fighting to kind of get the configuration of her district that made sense 
which is now my district. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the most African-American densely populated district in the state of Texas. And it's wow. naturally occurring. It's not, you know, let's try to do this. So the black people, it literally right. naturally is occurring. And I ended up losing my amendment to try to fix the map and mm -hmm. put this district together the way that it was supposed to be. And she was watching because you could stream the floor. And she called me on the floor and she was like, you did a great job. And I'm thinking, I just lost. I, <laughs> I didn't do great, you know? Right. And she's like, call me when you get home. And, you know, those fights on the floor, they're real fights. It's not like this where we're like sitting and waiting and then we go back and vote for Like we are on the floor. Like we are on the floor. Yeah. So I left the floor maybe about midnight, one o'clock in the morning because we work really long hours on the floor in the state house. And I went home and I called her and that's when she told me that she felt like it was time for her to retire and I should be the one to replace her. And I was like, am I being punked? What was your um, <laughs> like? Yeah, I, I mean, I really felt like I was being punked because, you know, for the longest people were like, she's been saying she's going to retire. She's been saying it, but it had been about a decade and she had not done it. So I was like, surely she's not going to pick the wild child. I was like, So I wait, were you considered the wild child on the floor? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Why yeah. was that? Oh, yeah. Because when we ended up breaking quorum in the Texas House, I was one of those people that were like, we need to get out. We need to go. We need to break quorum. We what need is quorum? To leave. So, oh, okay. So, you uh, don't not know to this. be confused so, with the No, no, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> no. So, basically, nobody can move, whether it's a sorority, fraternity, any organization. There is a layout of what is needed for there to be body movement, right? And so a quorum has to be present. So in the state of Texas, you have to have at least two thirds of the house on the floor for there to be an actual quorum. So we have 150 members in the state house. If you have less than 100 people in the state house, then whatever votes are going on, they don't count. Gotcha. So you've got it. So you're... So people will like not show up just to do so this. So we, yeah. So okay. it's, it, this was only the third time, I think, in the history of Texas that quorum had been broken. But we broke quorum so that we could stop business because we were trying to kill a terrible voter suppression bill. Oh. And so, but breaking quorum is like, we just gonna stay home, or is it like we all hang out together at the Waffle House? So like we, uh, so it can be a couple of things. We broke quorum twice. The first time we broke quorum, we were almost done with like the legislative calendar. So we were running out of time. Mm -hmm. So we only needed to break quorum to like midnight and then it was over. No more bills could come through anyway. So that was fine. So does that just mean we just don't show up or is it like we yeah, gather so we, in one place? So we, we do a left, sit -in? We like, left the state house. We actually went to a church. We went to a black church okay. that had been waiting on us. Press was there, that kind of stuff mm. in case we decided we were going to have to walk out. So that's what we did the first time. It's, it's a thing, but it's like a ceremonial, right? Like, I don't know if it's ceremonial. It's kind of chaotic. I don't know if it's ceremonial at all. It's, it's real chaotic because, you know, you got to tug on some of your your people and be uh, like, listen, we, we we finna go. Like, come with me, right? Like, mm. like I mean, because it doesn't work. If we don't do you it, get, a, a you squad. Have, yeah, exactly. Because one person walking out doesn't break quorum. Two people walking out doesn't break quorum. You've got to get the numbers. And so you're constantly like counting and whipping to make sure that you have enough people because you can't be like, we breaking quorum. I mean, it's a boycott. It is. And so the second time, so the governor called a special session to get his voter suppression bills through because he was so mad. So he called a special session, which each special session in the state of Texas is 30 days. And so that's when we flew to D.C. And so this we is Hot left Wheels who did this. Yes, Hot Wheels did this. Okay. We flew to D.C., and they literally put warrants out for our arrest. <gasps> I, like, have my warrant, like, framed and everything. <gasps> 
So it was a it was a it was it was a whole it was a whole thing. So oh we my had gosh. teams of lawyers like you can't arrest them. Like it was a lot, and this was all about making sure that we could preserve the right to vote. And I said, listen. If we don't stand for voting rights, we stand for absolutely nothing. Regardless of how big of a tent we are, we have to come together on this one thing, which is access to the ballot box. And we did. And we did it for a little over 30 days. And that was actually the first time I was seen on the national scene when people started saying, okay, the freshman kid needs to go to Congress. Mm. So the freshman from the state house ended up becoming the freshman in the U.S. house. What's it been like? Crazy. Was it what you expected? Mm, no. It's been, it's been, so I thought because the president was a Democrat and because the Senate was democratically controlled, mm-hmm. that we would have a house that understands how legislation works. And so they say, we'll never get this one passed. So we just won't do it, right? right. Like that they would actually work together. So I expected a lot more bipartisanship just because you can't pass some radical right bill and think it's going anywhere. It's not. You you well, could people potentially... don't even understand that it, just because it passed through the House, it still has to pass through the yeah. Senate. Then yeah. it has to get to the president. Like there's steps. It doesn't yeah. just stop at the House. Yeah, absolutely. But right now things are stopping with the House because we just can't function. What does that mean for you in terms of your constituency? How do you... Because I know that many people see you and there's a shared frustration. Yeah. Because it's like, we see you saying like, this ain't it, y'all. So we know that you're not going along with the get along. But how does that then, how does your constituency share with you like their frustration? Like, do they, are they frustrated? Are they they supportive of you? My constituents are very encouraging. Nice. Um, They are so happy that I at least make sure they're heard, mm-hmm. that their frustration is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're happy about that, number one. Number two, because of the amazing work that was done before I got here when the Democrats controlled the House, the Senate, and had the presidency, right now we're actually just handing out checks. So once legislation is passed, if it involves money, that comes a little later. So right now we're able to push that money out and let people know when the Democrats are in control— we will fix your roads, your bridges. We will make sure that we're investing right. in climate change. This is change. the infrastructure bill. We will, exactly. Or even Inflation Reduction Act. Right. Now that we're capping insulin prices. And what we saw is that there's so many people that, like, people don't understand. Between Medicaid and Medicare, it's kind of like, you know, it's a huge insurance company, essentially, right? Yeah. And so when they flex their power, you can actually regulate the market itself. We don't have a control over private industry and telling them this is the price that you're going to set. But we can go ahead and say this is all you're going to get from us, from ours, which is what insurance is about. It's about negotiating and getting set prices. Well, what happened is we saw some of those drug manufacturers decide, well, we'll just go ahead and drop our price to $25. Y'all could have did this a long time ago. A long time ago. But it took an act of Congress, right? Like to go ahead... Because they wanted to still make sure it's it's better for them to be able to sell to us and those that are on Medicaid and Medicare. And so they're like, forget it. We'll just go ahead and drop the price because they're not losing profits anyway. What's something you feel like you learned about this government that you didn't understand before you got to this level of government? I think for me, I didn't understand that there would be people that would be so self-centered and so short-sighted that they literally would take the entire country down. And I think that that's the scariest part about being here 
is that for some people, it's just political theater and it's all about getting clicks and likes. And to be clear, these poor souls that believe these crazies are doing something for them, they're giving their last two cents and donating to them and they're able to build up their coffers and insulate themselves. Unlike most people that look like me, Mm -hmm. right? Like ain't nobody giving us their last, right? To make sure that- Why do you think that is? Why do you think black folks don't give our black representatives, like give to them the same way that these folks be given? Because these folks are in a cult. They are, they are. But I think that it's the idea of government in general and just this idea that government has not ever looked at our work for them. And I, I think that they just are like, forget it. Like you're still just one part of the bigger problem. And so I think that what it's What stops just you a, from feeling like that? Because I know different. And honestly, probably because of my constituents. When people ask me the best part of my job, I tell them it's my constituents. When I go home and they're so happy to see me and they're pulling on me and want me everywhere and they want me doing everything. And you I'm able to use- <laughs> I'm home, y'all. Jasmine, home. <laughs> but using my bully pulpit, right? I can get things done mm-hmm. just because I'm the congresswoman, right? Like there are things that I can get done for them. And being able to pull together, you know, most people don't know, but but I'll tell y'all. So essentially, when you get elected to Congress, there is no playbook. Like they don't say that nah, this is how we. This There's no you, orientation. There's, well, we do at orientation, but they don't count. Okay. Um, like they don't really tell you like how to govern. Like they give you the basics. It's like welcome to Congress, and so they tell you you get a budget. Our budget is approximately two million dollars per member. Okay. You just basically get a small business with two million dollars. And they tell you to go do what you do. So the only things that they tell us is like, we have a cap on how many full-time employees we can have. We can't have more than 18 full-time, no more than four part-time. But they don't tell you, you got to hire this kind of person, that kind of person. They, you just get So two, your staff can be whatever you feel whatever like you, you want to get it to be, done. Whatever you want it to be. You can decide how much money you're going to spend so on So if you wanted a choreographer on staff, I so that say, when you I do could, come home and do parades, you I have somebody say, I built could, in. I probably may give her a different title, but yes. Okay. <laughs> The constituency choreographer? Yeah, no? There you go. There you go. <laughs> Maybe outreach is what I would call her. Uh, yeah, or something. Or she's communicating outreach. in some way. So yeah. it sounds like comms. <laughs> but yeah, no, like you can have almost anybody, you know, like uh-huh. people have speech writers. Some people don't have speech writers. Do you have a speech writer? I don't. I'm thinking about getting one. But well, I don't why? Have one. Because sometimes when I need a speech done, I just need it done. And I need to know that I got something that I can read and... And not all my staff can write for all the different e- uh, like events and things like that. So, and I do a lot. So, like yesterday, I'll tell y'all a funny story. So yesterday, I'm stitching on my staff. I love my staff. <laughs> hey, Sam. So I was so I was supposed to talk to. No, it wasn't yesterday. It was like two days ago. AKAs were here for like their day on. Are the you hill. okay? No, I'm a Delta. Okay. So they're here for their day on the hill or whatever, and we're all supposed to give remarks to the AKAs and welcome them to the Capitol and stuff. And so one of my staffers wrote it up and was like, you know, I'm so proud to be the freshman leadership representative where every black woman in my class is a soror. And I was like, oh, Lord. I was like, that's not accurate. It's, it, it is not. It is not. It is not. So I was like, okay, so definitely not reading this speech. Like, so I was like, all right. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and granted, like, I can pretty much flow in almost every single environment that I walk into. Like, I usually don't walk into spaces where I don't know, like, something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... 
Oh, this is I why can, I like you. So I can do what I need to do. This but is I was very like, similar, yes. Bro, like if I actually needed to read, I would have a problem, right? So, you know that's not going to change, right? Uh, because you're always <laughs> going to be... Because, like, that's a specific kind of person. Like, for you to be able to just, like, move in whatever space you're in, like, yeah. no matter who you get on staff, they also know that. Yeah. So there will always be a certain little extra element <laughs> of, like, damn, I do got to read this. <laughs> I got to pre-read and proofread because yeah. they're just, they're, they know that you got it. Yeah. And that always leaves a little extra room for that error to happen. It does. Unless I've, you know, so we've we've debated a speech just because I have a lot. And, and I no, get invited to, to do, like, Formal speeches Listen, as well. And if, so it's like, if, if it's Drake a formal has a ghostwriter, to... you can have a speechwriter. You know no, we, we, we're, we're thinking through it. Uh, but right now we're about to go into a shutdown. So I ain't gonna be able to hire nobody for a minute. So, we'll so what do you do during the shutdown? So I'm learning that I don't leave DC. So oh. I thought I would go home uh-huh. and be with my constituents, but you never know when a vote is going to get called. So you can't go on any trips. You can't, you're just here. You, you Are you just, working? Like, is that what happens? No, like, we'll just be sitting here. So we, who is the actually Democrats working? will be just sitting. The Republicans should be. So the issue is that the Republicans haven't signed off on any of these bills that are being presented. And because of that, there's going to be a they shutdown. They haven't even presented the bills. They haven't drafted the majority of the bills. And because the Democrats are in the minority, they're not the ones drafting. Correct. But they could work in a bipartisan way. So they could say, hey, we need help. Yeah. And then we we work it out. But they don't want to give like money to the poor. They want you know all the things that we want to do. They like, uh-uh, we ain't trying to do that. If we gonna balance this budget, which is not gonna be balanced, number one, people need to recognize that it was Trump that really ran up the credit card. So the way that I describe the debt ceiling is that it's like you hit your limit on your credit card and you're like, hey, can you raise my limit a little bit? I need some more. And it's it, it's weird because there's arguments that we don't really have to go through a debt ceiling vote, but nevertheless, we do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so they didn't want to raise the credit card limit, but I'm like, but y'all the ones that ran up the credit card. Are we not going to talk about that? And so the president had laid out a budget. His proposed budget would have cut the deficit by $3 trillion, all right? over, And he's cut the deficit by $2 trillion, like one point five, somewhere between $1.5 and $2 trillion. In his first two years in office, he's cut the deficit, right? But he did it without harming the people that are in most need. Mm-hmm. So that meant taxes. You got to tax the rich. So basically, right now, the Republicans are like, y'all are not allowed to raise taxes at all. Well, when you don't have enough money, what do you do? You bring in more money. Yes. Well, we can't bring in the money from the poor people, right? But right now... Our poor people are struggling a little bit more. Yeah. Because of what? Inflation. Exactly. Right? So it hits them harder than everybody else. Right? So right now- Tax for, me. Well, Tax but, me. But but that's what I'm saying. They're not trying to- So it's a whole thing. So we're not bringing in more money. So like Democrats are doing too much spending. So it's like, bro, you don't want to bring in any additional revenue. You only have two options. You go out and get a second job, which means you bring in more money. Or you have to rein it in. They have decided that they want to rein it in, but at what cost? At what expense? At the expense of our most vulnerable people. Yeah. Why do black people, in your opinion, think that Trump was better for us than Biden? Um, because I've been hearing that I, narrative. I, 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 I ain't figured it out. I, I don't know. I, I, hear, I, know I that, hear black folks say like, "Oh, you know, because Trump gave us money. Trump gave us checks." Oh, I now, now let me tell you. Now he was good. Now listen. Now, I'm I'm gonna give Trump some props <laughs> right here. The only, the only time, time you'll ever hear from me. 
He is a master at propaganda. Yes. Master. So people don't know that he was fighting. So when the stimulus checks came out, he was fighting to make sure that his actual signature was on the checks. Would not really, people probably, they could have had their money earlier, but Trump was fighting to make sure that his name was on that check so people would be perceiving that the money came from him when it didn't. That was an act of Congress, number one. Same thing with the food boxes in the midst of COVID. Uh huh. He had to make sure it was a letter in all the food boxes from him. Like he didn't went into his own garden and <laughs> pick this stuff for them to make them believe. And he takes advantage of what people don't know, which is they don't understand how government functions. No president could do that stuff by himself. It was Congress. It was Congress. It wasn't him. But he's the king of propaganda. So they let him do it. So yeah. There were people, and he knew it. He mm. said it. I want the people to know I send them these checks. He ain't sent y'all nothing. <laughs> he don't pay his own bills. Have y'all checked the record? Like, this dude owes everybody money. Yeah. I mean, he had an attorney of his that went to prison because he was playing with Trump, went to prison, got out of prison, still hadn't collected his money, and then had to settle for less than what was owed. Trump doesn't pay his bills, and he ain't taking care of y'all. Just FYI. Well, speaking of y'all, uh, the people got some questions. Okay. All right. So we are here with Representative Jasmine Crockett, who is very just transparent in ways that I feel like I would love to see more of our political folks be. Side note, shout out to Jamal Bowman and Ilhan Omar, who <laughs> were on In Amanda We Trust and definitely gave us that transparency. But I want to hear from you guys. We are going to go to the questions. So if you want to hear these questions, the answer to these questions, and you know what you got to do, go to theamandaverse.com. The last dose. Well, I appreciate you being a champion for moving forward, you know, progressive in that fashion. Yeah. I'm curious to know, just before we go, with you having to deal with so many single-digit IQs, <laughs> um, <laughs> how, do, how do you... <laughs> Not single digit. Because baby, because <laughs> you know, I be, I, you know, I, I see that I see yeah. the irritants yeah. because it's like, why are, why I am I here? I call on Jesus a lot in, in, in committee. I do. <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. Why am I here? And you're here. You yeah. know, like that's, that to me has got to be incensing. Um, yeah. How do you feel like your expertise as a lawyer who actually has studied the actual constitution. How do you feel like your work in government prior to this role makes you be able to serve your constituency differently than the people who just showed up because they were scouted to serve a purpose? And I say that not just in the partisan of like Republicans. I mean, I see that even in like like Marianne Williamson and and Mm. Cornell West being like, I'm going to run for president. It's like, but you've never done anything like this before. And maybe that seems like a positive to them. But for me as a voter, it feels like I need you to have existed in some type of capacity Mm -hmm. of public servitude prior to this. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's the only time that we say that the CEO doesn't need any qualifications. I mean, like, if if it's CEO of AT&T, everybody understands why they needed experience, right? Like, but when it comes to being the CEO of, like, the leader of the world, the leader of the free world, we're okay with accepting somebody that doesn't know shit. Donald Trump doesn't <laughs> know shit. So I'm just like— I'm watching. I, I mean, I'm just like, 
and even us as members of Congress, I'm like, like the you know, climate change conversation, like people trying to call oh, seasons climate change. I'm I okay. Well, so now when we leave the country and we talk to because no one else in the world is acting like climate change is a hoax. When we leave the country in a bipartisan way, the Republicans that I've been on trips with, they do not push back and say climate change isn't real. <gasps> that is something that they do here. But they don't say that when we're having our conversations overseas, which is what I mean about the performative politics mm, of it all. The Fox News. And it's, yeah, and it's all playing into this base. I mean, the numbers show, and I'm not trying to be funny or mean, but the numbers, when we look at the data, that the more intellectual, let me go with the more educated folk, okay. which the more educated folk are voting democratically. They're taking advantage of people that aren't necessarily as worldly, aren't necessarily as educated, and they know that they're wrong. They know that they're lying, and there are no repercussions for it. So they continue to do it. But when we are overseas and we're having these real conversations, because you can't talk about climate change and leave it to just the United States, of course not. It's a globe. it has it correct. <laughs> they don't talk that way. I have not heard one of them say that climate change is a hoax. So you get all of these people that are playing to kind of this ignorant base, and I'm not trying to be mean by calling them ignorant, but like using the definition of ignorant, like literally yes. they don't Unknowing. know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're doing. And, and that's, that's just only for their personal gain to be in position yep. or in power or to get money. Yep. That's it. That's it. And it's a shame. We really do deserve better. But in dealing with some of these people, you talked about that time where I laid it out, you know, when Bobert had gone in on a witness who was way above her head in the first place. And, and I took to... a moment and I apologized, but I also clarified that I have qualifications that she doesn't. You did. And essentially for the people that don't understand what privilege looks like, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like if I was to be Lauren Boebert, which is a 36-year-old married woman who just got caught up in the theater, being disruptive, smoking whatever she was smoking, but she was in Colorado. So I'm gonna leave it at that. Or vaping. Sorry, let me be clear. Vaping and being fondled. Oh, I was gonna say, don't leave that. Don't leave while that. While also out. fondling someone else. And then deciding that you were going to give somebody the bird. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing this all while being a 36-year-old high school dropout who took uh, the GD. Four times to pass it? Oh, I'm not sure about that part. So I won't even... I just know she's a high school dropout and a 36-year-old grandma. I would not be in Congress as a Black woman in this country. They would not give me a chance. It would not happen. Or you can juxtapose President Obama, who they always try to cap on, and talk about Trump. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Michelle couldn't have been a previous porn star and been the first lady. Obama couldn't have been on his third wife. Like, none of this stuff could have happened, right? Like, it couldn't have been that Obama had all of these companies that he was constantly filing bankrupt for. And so when we do get into position, we are in position because we fought for it, we earned it, and nobody gave us anything. So that's why when the Supreme Court wants to act as if affirmative action is a handout or something to us. It's not. It's giving us a chance to prove ourselves, which we do every single day in this country. So miss me on trying to pretend like I'm less than. Let me tell you who was less than Trump. 
Trump is not the most intelligent guy, but he has some degrees from some of the best schools. And it wasn't because he fought to get into those schools or he showed some amazing acumen. It was called money and privilege, mm-hmm. something that I wasn't born into. And so I, I get where I am in this country. I get that as a black woman, I will never be given the same grace as my white counterparts. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to point out that, honestly, I'm in a different league than a good majority of them. <laughs> Thank you for gathering the government. <laughs> okay. Keep on keeping on, sis. We over here rooting for you. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> 